Yeah, so uh, invite your friends for next Saturday night because Saturday night we'll have some seats and for the Easter weekend. And as Micah mentioned, we are going through Anchored in the Word. We've been giving away for these three Saturday nights, something my wife just had a heart to do, some of our healed and set free Bible studies. And so uh, I think they almost all were taken before service. So people are kind of in the know now and getting the groove. But if you want one of these Bible studies... Anybody want one? Raise your hand. Cool. Why don't somebody come up and, this is one of them. Somebody come up and get this one, and the ladies are going to get you one back there. There you go, Jackie. All right. So uh, there's the Bible studies. They, they're doing double duty. They have Bibles in their hands, so don't raise your hand for those yet. Here's uh, Healed and Set Free. There we go. And, oh, two. All right. They're all gone. So. Uh, if you need a Bible, in a moment we're going to be reading from Psalm 37. Just raise your hand and they'll get you a Bible for that. Well, we're a week away from Easter as Jesus conquered sin and death for us. And we're so blessed. But as we go through God's Word, reading it, um, those who are joining us and the anchored in the word. This week's reading just took us all the way through th- Psalm 37. And our message is going to be Corona Strong, right? We are in the Corona season of life. How are we strong during this Corona season of our life? Never been anything like it for any of us. It's crazy. Not only what's going on with masks and social distancing and shutdowns and businesses going belly up and the government making political changes like uh, the flurry of a pen as Biden is signing all of these executive orders and uh, they say he's going to exercise this week his executive order on the Second Amendment when it comes to gun control. And they've already been going after the First Amendment, right? No free speech. Even uh, several weeks ago, they were talking in, in the House, they were talking about somehow shutting down Fox News and Newsmax. And these are the leaders of our nation choosing to do these things. So fortunately, Tucker Carlson's still going strong, and it hasn't happened yet. But how are you and I going to be corona strong in this season? Somebody asked me the other night, we went out after uh, David Barton was here. We went out for some dessert with some friends. And at the end of dessert, one of our friends said, but Pastor Rick, where's the hope? Right? Because when we get together, we talk about all these things that are going on and we can't believe it. And we keep saying, unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. Can't believe this is happening in America. And I had been meditating on Psalm 37 and I said, well, my encouragement this week, because you need regular daily manna as the children of Israel had, fresh food from God's word. And I need that daily manna. And I was drawing that daily encouragement of hope from Psalm 37. So I wanted to share that with you. More than that, I wanted to give you a uh, passage of Scripture handout, which is just a breakdown of some of the verses. You have it in your hand. That we're going to go over in our message. So you can put that up in your fridge, tuck it in your Bible. When you're totally freaked out, I know you guys don't get freaked out. I've been getting freaked out, right? Ever since I joined you in California, I've been freaked out. (laughs) I'm an Idaho kid, right? We don't have these things to freak out in Idaho about, but I have just left America and entered communist China, I mean communist California, and so now there's a new stress level functioning in my life. 
So I want to share with you five things from this incredible passage of Scripture to give us hope. First, we're going to look at big problems, big faith, big provision, big pursuits, and big peace. Now, first of all, we have to look at the problems because faith is not ignoring problems. It's seeing the problems and realizing the God we serve is bigger than our problems. All the way through scriptures, when Moses is there standing at the Red Sea and here's Pharaoh breathing down his neck, he has nowhere to go. He's got two to three million Jews in, their, in this box canyon, if you will. The Lord says, stretch out your staff, stretch out your rod over the water, and he's going to part the sea because it had to be a miraculous work. And we, you and I see the handwriting on the wall in our nation that there, there is a tsunami of problems that are coming. And they say the first indication, if you're on the shoreline, if all the water dramatically gets sucked out to sea and you're sitting there saying, that's strange. Look, all the water's being sucked out to sea. Well, that's the time to run for the high place because it's coming back in a tsunami. And the things that we see going on in our country. This week, reading about California. California approves prayer in school so long as it's in praise of Aztec gods. This was on the books a while back, but it was approved this week on the 23rd, only here in California. The state's new ethnic studies model curriculum extends the left's cultural dominance of California's public education system and seeks to destroy the Christianity, capitalism, and racism white settlers brought to America. The Department of Education in California, where else, has approved a 900-page ethnic studies model curriculum designed to decolonize America. The program aims to right the supposed wrongs of the imperial Christianity that swept the Americas clean of their indigenous religions. The curriculum's core promise is that it will help root out Christianity and the capitalism and racism that apparently came with it. To empower children, this is what they're going to be teaching children from primary through 12th grade. To empower children as forces for ending such white colonialist hangovers, pupils are being instructed to pray in chants each day to Aztec gods that formerly sacrificed children and their parents. The curriculum instructs the pupils to invoke these gods to empower themselves as social warriors the new religion of racism. This is built upon critical race theory. I call it, as I study it, and I've been checking it out for the last couple of months, it is critical race terrorists. They see racism in everything, and it is the most racist perspective on life America has seen. Racism is everywhere. And so this is going on for the school system. The public school system has now embraced this. Well, these kids that are now new warriors, they might be able to <laughs> culturally adapt and put on a new pair of tennis shoes because on Monday they drop a new pair of tennis shoes by Nike, no kidding, Satan shoes. This is not a joke. TMZ carries this article, Little Nas X, to release Satan shoes on the heels of his Montero music video release, which has gone viral here. You can see this is a picture of the rollout shoe. First, um, it has a Bible verse on it, Luke 10, 18, which is Jesus saying, I saw Satan fall to earth. And they also have, I saw Satan fall, excuse me, go back to that. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And the passage goes on to 
tell the disciples not to rejoice that they have power over the demons, but that their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But also at the back of the shoe, get this, there's also a 666 reference toward the back of the shoe, as you can see. Now, this is the kicker. Now, don't, no doubt this is promotion provocateurs at their best. Look what it says. Here's the kicker. Apparently, these shoes will contain one drop of human blood somewhere along the soles. And no, not the met metaphorical blood, like actual plasma-filled red stuff. Unclear whose blood exactly is being used for this, but it's provocative without doubt. Now, they're going to roll this out, and supposedly uh, the guess is they're only going to have 666 pairs of shoes as the first models, and then to create this big demand for it. Unbelievable. Could you ever imagine that our children would be taught to chant to pagan gods in the United States of America, which, by the way, when you pray to foreign gods you then open the door for demon possession. Imagine a decade's worth of children in the state of California inviting, chanting, and praying to pagan gods while they wear their new drop-the-bomb Satan shoes, right? But the last line of a defense, at least we have police that will hopefully keep a lid on it. Oh, not so quick. Because this week, we found out next week, or the following week, excuse me, the bill AB 655 is going to be voted on in the House. A new bill introduced by California State Assembly member Asha Kalra in San Jose would pro prohibit police officers from serving if they used arbitrarily defined hate speech or affiliated with a hate group. Now that doesn't sound bad. You don't want police officers with hate speech and hate group until you find out who are those people. Conservative Christians, that's who they are. The bill known as California Law Enforcement Accountability Reform Act, or CLEAR Act, claims to combat the infiltration of extremists in our law enforcement agencies and would mandate a background check for all officers who have exchanged racist or homophobic and homophobic messages. Go through their Facebook, comb through any messages that they have. Should the state now, as Greg Burt, with the, the director of capital engagement with the California Family Council says, should the state now ban from public service qualified, fair-minded people who happen to hold religious or political views that conflict with controversial Supreme Court decisions on marriage and abortion? This is a blatantly unconstitutional violation of religious liberty and freedom of speech. It is also a tyrannical abuse of power from a pol politician seeking to ruin the lives of those he disagrees with. On April 6th, AB 655 will head for a vote before the Assembly Public Safety Committee here in the state of California. Well, that's the tsunami, right? All of this stuff that's going on. And as all of this unfolds, how are you and I going to be corona strong when it seems like literally we are being steamrolled by a far left agenda with no stopping in sight? Even as a side note, this week the uh, Department of Homeland Security, as they're, you know, they help oversee the borders along with immigration. President Biden's chief of uh, Homeland Security fired the top 32 officials that Trump had put in place as advisors for good counsel to keep our nation safe. He fired all 32 because they're going to have a different perspective about the things that are going on at the border. 
Now, I don't know if the problems are quite big enough for you. <laughs> for an Idaho kid, they're pretty overwhelming. It's easy just to want to run for the hills, right? Get out. How many of your friends are bailing? They're going to Texas. They're going to, they're practicing how to say y'all. <laughs> they're going to Florida and taking their sunscreen. They're going to Idaho and taking their gun. Because uh, you can shoot things there. You can hunt things. And we're seeing people run. But in a time of great, great intensity, David, the incredible servant of God, writes and pens Psalm 37. And he's going to share with us things that infuse the child of God with hope and faith. Because that's what I need. That's what you need. That's what we've come together for faith, hope, and love. Get our eyes back on the Lord. Have you noticed the more you observe a problem, the bigger it gets? But the more you get your eyes on the Lord, the bigger he gets and the smaller the problems get? That's what we want to do with the remainder of our time. Let's look at the big problem solutions, if you will, in this passage of Scripture. In verse 1, and now I put these verses together. They come from different parts of this chapter to try to categorize them. But it tells us in verse 1 and 2, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Don't fret because of evildoers. What have I been doing all week long for a year? Right? I've been fretting. <laughs> Look what's going on in our nation. We're fretting and the Lord tells us, don't fret because of evildoers. They will soon be cut down like the grass and withers as a green herb. Just like you mow the lawn, you take the clippings and you throw them in the trash can. This is going to pass. This is all from God's perspective. Verse 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked absolutely hate the child of God. They hate Christians. The narrative that we are now domestic terrorists, if we are a Christian and we are conservative in America, has really gained momentum and traction for their narrative since January 6th. Since some 300 people that the FBI now says they've arrested for breaching the Capitol. I agree that what they did was wrong. I agree that they were stupid for doing so. And it actually chopped off our cause at the knees because it gave the left a club to beat us with that they have not stopped swinging since January 6th. They run it over and over. And even this law about the police officers was connected to the thought of January 6th that you see in the police force there are domestic terrorists. If you believe what the Bible teaches about conservative things, you're pro-life, you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman, you believe, you know, in the Lord's description of, of sexual, um, the right use of sexual intimacy, then you're considered to be this crazy person, this terrorist. And they gnash their teeth at that. It's not enough. You know, as we look around the world as Christians and we see people living whatever lifestyle, we're like, well, we've chosen to love the Lord. Well, whatever. I mean, they can, they're free, right? It's America. They can, they can do whatever they want. It's not like we're trying to cram our faith down their throats. But having said that, they will not give up until we are totally silenced. 
until the laws can come in so that this will be defined. If you teach Romans chapter 1, it'll be defined as hate speech. It'll be defined as some kind of domestic terrorism. But notice this in verse 13. As they are gnashing their teeth at us, it says, The Lord laughs at him, for he sees that his day is coming. You and I are stressed out, and the ungodly are gnashing their teeth at us, and it says the Lord is laughing in heaven because he sees the end of the road for them. He knows. Now, I haven't been laughing a lot lately. How about you? There we go. We needed that little laughter right there. Laughter's good medicine, but we haven't had a lot of it, have we, recently? recently. And so we need that laughter. And as we connect to the Lord and I elevate my eyes and I see him in faith and how big he is, and that none of this, you guys, he sees the end of the people that are doing these things. He sees their end. It's not like the Lord's up in heaven seeing what's going on in America and going, oh my, I had no idea. That God is totally caught by surprise. Now, you and I are surprised. I can't stop saying unbelievable, inconceivable, unbelievable. Wow, right? I can't stop saying those. And the Lord, he sees it all. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. He sees the tsunami that is rising in our world. And he tells us in verse 8, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Don't fret. Those three things. I start fretting, I get angry, and then I'm just enraged. I don't know how many times I've just, I've just had to turn off what I'm, you know, listening to or throw down what I'm reading, and I am just in a rage about what is going on. And yet the Lord says, let go of that fretting, let go of that anger, let go of that wrath, because it only do, does you harm. Who's it eating up? It's eating me up. All of my anger, all of my rage, all of my fretting isn't solving a thing. Now we're going to get to a place that we can be fruitful and do something, but I'm not really accomplishing anything just by seething and having a conversation with my TV all day long, right? Shouting back and forth at your TV. Verse 35 and 36, this is such a beautiful picture. The Lord wants to encourage you and I. I have seen the wicked in great power. We see that today. And spreading himself like a native green tree, like a huge tree that's taking over. Yet he passes away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. I have seen the wicked arise, and then they were no more. You see, throughout history, you guys, and we're just in an epic time of history, this has been true. You know, when Adolf Hitler came into power at the age of 44... And the next 12 years was a reign of terror, 12 years of hell brought to the entire world. And at the age of 56, 12 years later, he's hiding in a bunker with a pistol in his mouth, blowing his brains out. He was like a green tree that grew up. And for 12 years, everybody thought, here is the guy that's going to take over the world. And he ends his life in a hole with his mistress, putting a bullet in his head. He's done. And the Lord saw that all along. Now, was there havoc created? Yes. Saddam Hussein, in 2003, is found hiding in a hole. A guy that had reigned in terror for 25, 30 years in Iraq. The things he did was unbelievable if you've done the research in his background. And they found him hiding in a hole in 2003, these soldiers. Not far, nine miles from his hometown of Tukirk, Iraq. 
Three years later, 2006, he's hanging from a rope. His life was over. Sometimes we lose sight that these people that have risen and done great harm to humanity, their life was brought to an end. Osama bin Laden, the mastermind of 9-11, almost 3,000 people, 2,900 people died in the Twin Towers. Fast forward a decade, and SEAL Team 6 is breaching his house while he hides behind a woman, and SEAL Team 6 executes him. It took a decade to run him down, but his life was over. You see, throughout modern history, throughout biblical history, when Haman wanted to destroy the children of Israel in the book of Esther, and he got a law passed so that all the Jews would be killed, and he built a gallows 70 feet tall so he could hang Mordecai from it. And in God's providence, he flipped that around. And who, though he built the 70-foot gallows for Mordecai, who got hung on it? He did. Haman hung from it. And his sons. You see, God sees the end. That's why he can observe things. And you and I, as we move into big faith, when there's big problems, we can trust God. I don't have to fret. I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be in a rage. Let me tell you, I have to preach this little sermon to myself about four times a day. Because as soon as I get peace, and i got about 30 minutes where my blood pressure has come down, it starts rising again. Right? And i got to go through my mini-sermon. You see, if you're a preacher, you just got to preach to yourself all the time. But some of us need to learn to preach to ourselves. You have the sermon in your little handout to take home with you. <laughs> so the big problems require this big faith. And the big faith, as we see in verse 3, here in chapter 37, he tells us, instead of all of that, you guys, instead of fretting, being angry, being worried about the future, God's going to take care of these things, trust in the Lord, trust in God, do good. Everywhere you guys turn, take the opportunity to do good. Dwell in the land. We don't have to run from the hills, not yet anyway, so let's dwell in the land. Let's dwell in the land and do good and be fruitful and feed on God's faithfulness. Don't just feed on the pipeline of tragic news daily. I'm not telling you not to be in tune. I'm in tune with it. But feed more so on God's faithfulness. God is faithful. Verse 4, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Even in the midst of everything we're going through, you guys, as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he sees the desires of our heart and he says he will do that work. He will bring forth your desires even in the midst of these dark times. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Commit whatever you're pursuing in faith to God, and he will bring it to pass. He can establish it. And that's what we're doing here at God Speak. We're committing this to God. We're trusting God. And we are wanting him to establish this work of grace in the midst of these dark times. Even as we go back to court next month, and as I go up and minister this next month up in San Jose, where they have over $2 million in fines. Talk about big problems with the government as we're just simply seeking. Isn't that something? They can chant and worship pagan gods in our school system now, but we can't say the Lord's Prayer out loud and worship him in church. What's that word? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Verse 11, 
But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Do you know what? God's people, you guys, always win. In the end, God's people win. We will inherit the earth, that which God giving us an inheritance. And everywhere that we put our foot, just like the children of Israel that went into the promised land. As you turn your page over, you're going to see the big provision. Because one of the things that you and I are concerned with in these hard times, are we not? Is, man, I, I hope I have a job. I hope I can pay the bills. I, I hope I can get by through this season and what's going on. And the, hacks, the, the uh, tax hikes and, and uh, fuel going to go up to 4 to $5 ga- dollars a gallon. But God promises he'll provide for us as well. Realize, I don't know what the context that David is writing about in Psalm 37, but he seems to cover all the bases. All the thoughts that go through my mind seem to just spring out of this passage of Scripture as fresh water of hope for my soul. He says in verse 16, A little that a righteous, the, a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. A little that a righteous man has is better than the, the riches of the wicked. God's going to take care of us. It might not be overabundance. Have you discovered through lean times God doesn't give you all that you want, but he gives you what you need? He just gives you what you need to get by. And he provides just enough to make it happen as he takes care of our needs. And he keeps us trusting in him for our daily bread. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. But we're Americans. We want our months, we want our months worth of bread. We want our 401k. We want, we want a freezer filled with food and cupboards filled. You know, he's like, he's praying, hey, you know what? Do you got bread today? I am looking at you guys. You guys look really well fed. I don't think he's letting any of you down. As a matter of fact, he's been extra generous with some of you. <laughs> right? We're all doing well. And we've all, I, I, I don't know about you, I've got just a little bit of a corona roll. That's what I call this right here. <laughs> little corona roll. I've gained about 10 pounds. And through all of this, God is taking care of our needs. In verse 19, it says, They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. When there's lean times all around us, you guys, times of famine, God's going to satisfy us. And we shall not be ashamed in the evil time. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not ashamed of, you know, the immutability of your traits. If you happen to be white, though everybody's telling you you should be, especially as a white male, uh, you're just basically the devil incarnate because you're this white supremacist. It's, it's, it's crazy. And yet we don't have to be ashamed. You know, I've discovered that when people try to shame you, you're only ashamed if you let it stick. Meaning if you put up with it. If you let that shame be thrown on you. But if you just brush it off, just say, hey man, I'm sorry you feel that way. But I'm not carrying the shame you're you're dishing out. I don't have to carry your garbage. I don't have the perspective that you do. God loves you. God loves all people. I don't know what your problem is. But you're not shaming me. I'm not ashamed if I believe that the, what the Bible says. You see, people want to humiliate us and shame us as Christians and as conservative people and that we actually believe the truth of this book. They want to shame us. Don't let that shame stick. You know, there's a beautiful verse. It's a short little phrase that Paul uses in the book of Romans. He said, let God be true and every man a liar. I will believe God's word every time over the opinions of man. And so I'm not going to be ashamed of him. 
I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to be ashamed of our Savior. I'm not going to be ashamed of worshiping and getting together with you guys and studying the word and loving people and seeing people saved and baptized and on their way to heaven. What do we have to be ashamed of? Now, I used to live in shame. I used to be in trouble with the law. I used to be in tr- I used to doing everything. I know what shame feels like, and it was legit, right? I should have been ashamed of myself every day. I woke up, I'm ashamed, you know, the, the way I'm living. But in Jesus, we don't have to carry that shame any longer because he's washed away our shame. Verse 25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. This is human experience, you guys. Now walking with the Lord for 35 years, I have never seen the Lord let down his people. Not once. Now, I've let down the Lord a whole bunch. We don't really want to talk about that. But he has never let me down, and I've watched him take care of God and, and God's, God's people and their children and how he ministers his grace and his supply and his provision in supernatural ways. And just like David, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, ever. And I've never seen their descendants begging bread unless they've slapped away the hand of the people that love them and know the Lord and they want to go live in their sin. Then they turn into beggars because of that choice. So we have the understanding that God sees the big problems. We have big faith to trust God. We have big provision. God's going to take care of you and I. You just got to know it. And then there's big pursuits. You see, it doesn't mean we're, we're, we're no longer paralyzed because faith is not paralyzed. And here it tells us in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. That means the steps, you're in motion, you're walking, you're doing what God wants you to do in these dark times. You're moving forward. You're not hiding in a cave. You're moving forward and the steps of the Lord, he's, he's ordering those steps in your life. He's ordering Pastor Rob's steps as he's cruising around the country and being a voice for liberty, for God's people and for our nation. He's directing your steps as you're working and you're ministering and you're sharing with people everywhere we go. We do not have to be paralyzed, you guys. God wants to order our steps that we are in motion and we are not a paralyzed people. We are a fruitful people because we are filled with faith that God is able to do things even in these hard times. Verse 24 says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Now the problem with being in motion and being used by God and serving God is sometimes you have this fear in the back of your mind that you're going to stumble and fall on your face. Right? Especially, it's one thing for you just to be leading your own life in Jesus. But when you're leading a group of people and then you stumble and put your foot in your mouth or you say the wrong thing or you mess up somehow, the fear of failure is what keeps people from serving God. The fear of failure. And they'll say, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can, I can serve the Lord in that way. I'm just, you know, I'm, I, 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 I feel a little frail. I might mess up. Well, welcome to the club. Right? You're going to fall down. But the Lord said he's ordering the steps of a good man. Did you notice that? The Lord's ordering his steps. But also the Lord observed that though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down because the Lord upholds him. Do you think if you're trying to make attempts in your love and service to God and you fall on your face that God is going to abandon you and not pick you up, dust you off, and get you back in the game? You're, You're his servant. He's not giving up on you. He's not giving up on me. 
He's not giving up on any of us. Even if we make a mess of things, God's grace has a way of using the mess to bring a message out of the mess. I've watched it over and over and over. So as long as I'm afraid of failure, I will never be passionate and useful for God. Do you understand that? Neither will you. As long as you are afraid of failure. <laughs> you know, there's this great problem, proverb. It's kind of odd, but it says, where there is no ox, the trough is clean. You go, sounds like a farmer was drunk and wrote something in the Bible. What's he mean? Right? So where there is no ox. But then he goes on to say, but much strength comes from an ox. What he's saying is, you can have a really clean barn, but you are getting nothing done. But if you have a, an ox, it makes a big mess, but you get a lot accomplished. So sometimes the stall's a little messy where something's getting done. Sometimes ministry is a little messy where things are getting done. And it's not this pristine nativity you bring out that is sparkling without any dust on it at Christmas time. It's actually kind of the stinky, messy things of life. Who you're loving, who you're reaching out to, what's going on. And the Lord is ordering our steps, and he knows we're going to fall on our face sometimes, but he's going to uphold us, he's going to pick us up, dust us off, get us back in it, and he wants us to speak for him, as the next verse says in verse 30, the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. He speaks of wisdom, and he talks of justice. Wherever we can speak, the power of the spoken word or the written word has changed nations for years. And we have to speak up. When we see these things and call them out, we have to speak up. Some of us have been silenced. Some are not stepping into areas of service that you know God is prompting you to because you're afraid you're going to fail. Some are not speaking up because you're afraid you're going to be attacked for what you say. And you probably will be if it doesn't toe the line in the narrative. But the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom. So we can't stop walking. We can't stop serving. We can't stop speaking, especially in dark times. Lastly, God's going to help us stand through all of this. In verse 31, the law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. It's this picture of somebody that's grabbed a hold of God's word and it's in his heart and he is so convinced of the truth of God's word that he's going to stand no matter what comes because he's standing on the promise that God will never leave him or forsake him. God is able to do all that he wants to do. The children of Israel were overwhelmed when they came into the promised land. They said, hey, Moses sent 12 spies to check it out. 10 of the spies came back and said, oh, no, it's, oh, it's, the, the city walls are too big and there's giants in the land. And literally, there were giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers. We are grasshoppers on our sight. We are grasshoppers on their sight. We're like a bug. They're huge, and they're fortified walls. And only two guys, Joshua and Caleb, back, came back and said, you know what, our God is bigger than those giants. Our God is bigger than those fortified walls, and we are going to eat their lunch by faith. But the ten turned the entire multitude away, and they could have marched right in and had the promised land. They could have marched right in. But because of unbelief, the Lord said, okay, for 40 days you checked out the promised land, 40 years you're going to wander around in the wilderness because you simply did not believe my promise. Here we are looking at a truckload of promises right now. 
And these promises are either springing forth in faith in your heart, or each one of these promises that come up, you just dismiss it and say, no, it's too hard. It's too big. It's awful. I can't do it. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm ashamed. I, I can't speak. I don't know what to do. It is impossible to please God without one simple thing, faith. It is impossible to please God without faith, Hebrews 11.6 says. All you need is a mustard seed, which is this little bit. And he said, if you have a mustard seed of faith, you can say to this tree, be thou removed and cast into the sea. You can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. If you have the smallest bit of faith, you don't have to have giant faith. Just enough faith to say, I believe God. I trust God. I sincerely believe that exactly what he means, that's what he's saying. And that's what he's saying to us here tonight. After all of these years, this passage of Scripture was penned some 3,000 years ago. And the food of it is like it is fresh and crisp and delightful as it was back then in these dark times that we're living in. And it's an anchor for our soul. The last thing, we need big peace. Because, you see, God has granted his kids to have peace. That is an inner tranquility, even when your outward circumstances are falling apart at the seams. You have an inner peace, an inner tranquility that you're not rattled, you're not ruffled. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, that be anxious for nothing, but by prayer, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Your heart, your emotions, your mind, your thoughts. Now, how is your heart, if you were to measure it with peace in your emotional center or peace in your mental center, where's it at? On a scale from 1 to 10, you rate yourself. And in this place, God wants to bring our peace. You see, it tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So what you see in this whole exchange is my daily prayer to the Lord is I get all of this built-up anxiety or when things just freak me out. If I start harboring them and thinking about them, all my peace goes out the door. But as I throw them, I cast all my cares upon the Lord. I throw my cares his direction and he pours out his peace on me so that in the midst of all this, I can be at peace. And you can be at peace. Do you have peace? Now you guys remember, you know, I was raised, born in 65, so the early 70s, I was wearing bell bottoms and, and all the cool stuff that my older siblings, because I was the youngest of four, and everything was, peace, man, peace, bro, peace, it's, and so even today, when I look at some people, I'll just go, you know, I mean, hey, peace, it's good, only old people get it, right, young people are like, what are you talking about? I remember being seven years old, 1972, out here, at, you guys know it as Paramount Ranch. It wasn't Paramount Ranch at that time, though Paramount owned it. My stepdad was a uh, horse trainer on Paramount Ranch, so we lived in this little house. It's still there on the ranch today. And, and they had this big uh, uh, renaissance fair with the whole hippie thing. And, uh, you know, I'm a seven-year-old. I'm in the... I'm in the first grade, second grade. Uh, I'm going to Thousand Oaks. In the second grade, they bust us in for Magura. And, and we're there at the Renaissance Fair, and everybody's like, love, man. Peace. And then here comes 
Lady Godiva. So Lady Godiva is naked on a horse with this long hair. And you know, here I am, 50 years later, still going, unbelievable. <laughs> I come to California, and here's Lady Godiva, you know, and everybody's just like, oh, here comes Lady Godiva. Peace, Lady Godiva, peace. Right? But the peace that is drug-induced is a different kind of peace. Right? I know what that peace is like also. Right? But the peace that God has for you and I the peace that he wants us to enjoy. In verse 7 it says, rest in the Lord. This kind of peace gives us rest. I, I can rest at night. I can rest in my soul. Rest in the Lord. And this is the hardest part, and wait patiently for him. It is the waiting patiently as I see everything coming apart at the seams. It's the hardest. How about you? Waiting. How long? How long, O oh Lord? And oftentimes in the Psalms, the, Lord will, the psalmist will ask that of the Lord. How long, Lord? How long are you going to let things fall apart in our nation? How long are you going to let people be in the government office that are absolutely rejecting the Constitution that they swore to uphold? How long, O oh Lord? How long are these things going to take place? But he says, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. And right now, evil is prospering. Bad politicians are prospering. They're prospering. The whole critical race theory group, the postmodernists, the decolonialization, postcolonialism is rising. And if you love this nation and you're seeing it destroyed from the inside out, you're seeing America go on life support. And Lord, how long? How long until you break in? But he says, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. I don't have to fret because these guys are passing all of this legislation. Because verse 37 says, mark the blameless man and observe the upright, for the future of that man is peace. The future of that man is peace. You can, I can enjoy incredible peace in the most difficult times. You know, when Peter and James were arrested, Herod wanted to basically show his strength and get his support from the Jews. So he killed James. James was one of the first of the, the apostles. Uh, he was the first apostle to be executed, and he was beheaded. Here he hung out with Jesus for three, three and a half years, and his ministry was very short because briefly after that, Herod throws him in jail, chops off his head. Now, he sees that it pleases the Jews, so he arrests Peter, and he's going to do the same thing to Peter. And so Peter is sleeping like a log, right? He's at rest. He's totally sleeping. Sleeping so hard, the angel has to strike him on the side to wake him up. Now, if you had to be executed and have your head chopped off in the morning, could you sleep that night? Right? You'd be... It's kind of like cramming for finals. How much do I need to pray, right? I'm getting ready to go to heaven. I'm going to pray all night long till I take my head off. But Peter's sleeping. I think, first of all, Peter is sleeping because the Lord told him, hey, Peter, when you're old, so he said, you're going to die when you're old. He said, when you're old, you're going to stretch out your arms and follow me. So he was basically telling Peter in a prophecy, Peter, you're going to get old, and they're going to crucify you like me. Like me. So he's like, well, I'm not old, and they chopped off James's head. They didn't crucify him, so I think I'm good. Let's take a nap. You know, he just goes to sleep. 
And the believers, are, they're in a prayer meeting. They're praying like crazy. And an angel of the Lord comes. And Peter's chains, after he strikes him on the side to get him up, Peter thought he was dreaming. He just gets up, thinks he's sleepwalking. His chains fall off. The doors open. It's the first, you know, automatic door. And he goes out. And he goes and knocks on the door where the prayer meeting is. And Rhoda comes to the door. And she says, who is it? And he goes, well, it's Peter. And she doesn't even open the door. She's so freaked out. She runs back and tells everybody that it's Peter. And they say, you're, you're, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, we're, we're here in a prayer meeting to get Peter out of jail. She said, I'm telling you, he's out. He's at the front door. So they open the door. See, how is it that in the midst of literally looking at getting his head chopped off the next day, because that's what they did to James. By the way, one of his lifetime friends, James and John, were Peter and Andrew's, their co-workers, their like, lifelong friends. How do you have that kind of peace? How do you have that kind of peace? You see, when you know the Prince of Peace and you spend time with the Prince of Peace, one of the byproducts of hanging out with Jesus in a daily way is having his peace. And we can see these things going on. I can still stay engaged. I can still speak up. I can still be passionate about what I want to talk about, whether it's the liberty that we have as Christians or the liberty that is for us as United States citizens. And I can still be at peace. Because he says, you mark that blameless man and observe the upright. By the way, blameless, that doesn't mean sinless. None of us are sinless. But do you know that as soon as you believe in Jesus... He accredits you with his righteousness. So you're right with God. Say, well, I was right yesterday. I didn't do so well today. No, it's not that arbitrary. Your positional place in Jesus is I am righteous in his sight. I am blameless in his sight. I am wanting to be upright in his sight. And the future of that man, of that woman, is supernatural peace that will guard your heart, which is your emotions, and will guard your mind, which are your thoughts. The psalmist, David in this case, knew something about hard times, just like you and I. And when we live through this, you guys, we're either going to look back and go, man, I really pressed into the Lord, and I trusted him, and I had his peace. Or we're going to look back because, you know, when we're not really pressing into the Lord, and we just try to handle things in our flesh, we kind of make a mess of things, don't we? Right? We're trying to get... (laughs) Peace in all kinds of different ways. But press into Jesus, the Prince of Peace. He says, my peace I give unto you, my peace. My peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Let's pray for God's supernatural peace in these dark times. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that you've put in our hearts faith, hope, and love. And Lord, we pray right now that you would strengthen us to stand in these dark times. I just pray for those who are really, really agitated, Lord. They've been fretting and they're angry and they're in a rage and they're just beside themselves. And I absolutely know where they're at and what it feels like because I have been in this place myself. So we come to you now by faith, Lord, asking for your grace to meet us. Meet us, Lord, in a special way as your people, as we stand before you. 
Lord, as we go forward and we take these promises and we tuck them into our Bible and we, we refer to them on a daily or weekly basis, Lord, continue to nourish us and feed us and strengthen us with the truth of your word and the promises of your word and the certainty of your word. Help us build our lives on that firm foundation of your promise. Lord, we just thank you. This week as we head towards Good Friday, Lord, this week, tomorrow morning, Sunday, as we head towards the Palm Sunday and Easter, Lord, we pray that you would draw people to yourself, that we could share the love and the hope that is found in Jesus. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Hey, you guys, this week, think about family members or whoever, because there are some seats here on Saturday night. And if you could round up some friends you just want to share God's love with, people are open during this time. They're open at Easter. So reach out. Let's fill this place up and let's see some people get uh, saved and drawn close to the Lord in these dark times. Amen. Let's stand together.